Let's go to the Lord again and ask him to do for us what is needed for our hearts today. Lord, gracious Heavenly Father, what we know not, we pray that you would teach us now from your word today. Lord, what we have not, we pray by your spirit that you would give us um, in the meeting of our gathering today. And Lord, what we are not, we pray that you would make us and transform us into the image of your Son. In Christ's name we pray, amen. When do you know? One of the most common questions that youth ministers uh, get asked by teens and college students alike, when do you know? When do you know that she's the one? Or, or how do you know that I really love him? Uh, over and over with a, a swelling uh, understanding of emotions, of desires, of wanting to be with one another, uh, young hearts long to know is, do I love this person? Do I want to spend the rest of my life with this person? Or is it simply uh, just a fatuation? Is it simply just seeing a good attribute in someone and, and wanting that? Uh, but if you've been around young couples, this question is bound to come up even in your own surroundings. Uh, the question is actually a good question uh, that we should all ask ourselves, is our love genuine? Is my love genuine for those around me? Is my love genuine for my wife or maybe for my husband? The same is true for us today. We hope to see from God's word, what does this look like in our lives now and how do we know? Although everyone may have an opinion, it must be us to evaluate our own hearts, and that's what I hope we could do today. So our sermon this morning is, is not calling us to even, uh, is calling us to evaluate our lives and our hearts, but is also calling us um, by expressing the full measure of faith that the Lord has given to us and to one another. Paul actually builds his argument across the first 11 chapters of Romans helping us to see the theological implications of God's accomplishing purpose uh, to his people, bringing faith alone into their hearts, helping them to see and know Christ and him crucified. And as we go into the chapter 12, Paul makes a, a shift in the book of Romans, uh, intending uh, to push us on towards application. So as you've heard from our text this morning, Paul seems to be quickly running through this long list of exhortations. Uh, and in our culture, this might sound strange. We might think that Paul is angry or confronting his audience for their wrong character or maybe their, their unhelpful desires. But that's not the case here. Paul is actually commending us to display the full character of God that is evident in the believer's lives. So before we dive into our passages, what, what I want to do today is actually put on our metaphorical gloves uh, so that we can dig through the riches of the lifestyle for which is characterized by real love. So let us look closely. I want to turn to Romans chapter 12, uh, looking at verse 1 for just a, a few minutes here. So maybe you might go up a few lines or maybe uh, flip left in the page uh, of your Bible. But this passage will help give us some context for which Paul is writing to us in our passage today. He says this, Verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, Now, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Romans, chapter 12, as I've said, is the hinge point of uh, the book. Paul here shifts the tone of his argument from theological implications or instructions to faithful action, spurring us on as believers in Christ. Notice there uh, in verse 1, a key word, therefore. This conjunction is actually being used to reflect all that has taken place in the first 11 chapters. In fact, Paul actually sums up the first half of Romans in just a few simple words, by the mercies of God. Now, if that's not synthesizing information, I don't know what it is. Uh, This phrase is actually chocked full of significance for us today. God's mercy has been shown to those who believe. From the rebellious heart of man where humanity has actually been given over to our desires of our hearts, all people are unrighteous, as Paul has said through his earlier chapters. Before God and before uh, his throne, But not one of us can stand righteous before a holy God in our own thoughts or even in our own actions. But by God's mercy, Christ Jesus was brought into the world to swallow up the full wrath of God. This is what Paul expounds on through uh, Romans chapter 5 and 6. Soaking up the full wrath of God for those who believe in him through faith. Christ was our substitute, our propitiation. Uh, he has given our, his life for our own, to which his perfection is counted to us through faith. This is the gospel, that God in Christ Jesus has done for you and for me what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross by his death, and then by his resurrection, we have been brought into the newness of life that is through him. So if you hear anything today, before we get into our passage, if you hear anything, hear this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Faith in Christ is the understanding and trust that Jesus has done everything for us, what we were hopeless to do on our own. Hear the Lord's message of mercy for you today and cherish the Lord for the great things that he has done. This is out of faith that Paul commends the church to present our bodies as living sacrifices. This, this is in view of what God has already done and promised. We are then to offer up our whole lives to God. And this is actually what our spiritual worship he's describing as, what he's going to expound on in the later chapters. How are to we live our lives as a sacrifice to the Lord? It's what we will see today in our passage. Well, true worship extends all places, all activities, And it is possible for anyone who has true saving love in Christ Jesus. It means putting God first in every area of one's life, which which in practice means putting him at the center of every decision and every action. Do we do this? This is actually how we are to honor the Lord with our, our works and our deeds. Throughout the rest of the letter, Paul will flesh more practically out what this true worship looks like in our lives. The idea that we are to be transformed by real love in order that we might love selflessly to those around us. Because of God's graciousness, love, and mercy to his people, those who belong to the Lord are to be marked by genuine love. So, 
in light of this. The question for all of us here today, and really the, all, all of us should ask this question daily in our lives, is not what you were doing to keep God's favor, but rather how has God's love transformed you to make the decisions that you make throughout your days? As we hear this message, let us focus our eyes on our own intentions and rather not the intentions of others. It's so often that we want to think, well, man, I really hope my wife's listening to this or I really hope my son is paying attention. But if we're cautious and caring for how the Lord is transforming our own lives, we would reflect on our own hearts, asking ourselves, how are these characteristics evident in your life today? It's best for us to start where Paul starts, and he starts there in uh, verse one, or, sorry, verse nine. Let love be genuine. As we have said earlier, the basis for which we are to live a new lifestyle, we must be transformed by the love of God. Uh, without this transforming love, we, we are hopeless to ourselves, unable to do good, unable to please the Lord. Notice the emphasis for which Paul is calling us to. He's not commanding us to love, although he does that elsewhere in the Bible, but rather he is calling us to be genuine in our love. Let love be genuine. It would be silly for a painter uh, to continue painting a, a house uh, with actually no paint in his bucket. Uh, it would make no sense. If the substance of real love isn't present in our lives, then it would make no sense to love the world with a love that we do not have, with a love that is not there. No, Paul here has in mind that our love is to be real, that is to be reflecting the love of God. So the question that we all need to wrestle with today, and really the question that we're going to spend most time on throughout our passage is, is your love genuine? Is your love genuine? My hope today is not to have you question your salvation. As Paul already assumes, God's love is within those whom he's addressing. We see that, we know that, uh, for the, which the, the intention that he has turned to in chapter 12. But rather, what I want us to think about are the areas that the Lord may be showing us to grow in our love in Jesus Christ. How are, to be, how are we to be transformed in the knowledge and the image of Jesus? How are we to reflect Christ's love for the world? Well, we, what I've seen in my study uh, this week is Authors and commentators have actually had trouble seeing organization throughout this passage, seeing connections that actually uh, these lists of exhortations are helping us to see in this passage this morning. Uh, but I believe it's actually clear. I believe Paul here is clear in his intentions. I believe Paul is having us to assess our motivations and actions as one who has genuine love in our hearts. We are to love as Christ has loved us. And this is where he actually speaks against, let your love be genuine, then hypocrisy is the characteristic for which Paul is contrasting here. We are to love genuine, creates trust rather than suspicion. When we love genuinely, it brings comfort rather than concern. Christians are to, sp are to be speaking and taking action with real love. Our motivation and desire is not based on emotional feelings that we see in the movies. 
It's not based on our, our desire to do good out of our own heart, but rather out of the, the knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done for us. This real love that I believe Paul is helping us to see here in our passage this morning uh, is what we will see in three areas of the text. So what I want, sorry, four areas in the text. I want us to look at four areas that Paul is having to having us to assess, is our love genuine? And yes, there, there will be some work for you because I, I have not had that in your uh, bulletin there provided for you. So uh, seek to, to fill in the blanks. Seek to fall in and think through, is your love genuine in these four areas of our lives? So as we think through these together, let us be spurred on to love faithfully and be transformed in the areas where we actually remain selfish where we actually think of our own desires rather than the desires that has flowed out of us from a love that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. Is your love genuine? We see this in our first point. First, do you love what God loves? Do you love what God loves? Verse 9 tells us this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Other translations have said it like this. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. These verbs are actually used to indicate the strongest in their meaning. To abhor is to utterly despise what is evil. Wanting and having no part in it. The image of of hating evil is evident in what Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When we are to flee from all sexual immorality. Seeing sexual immorality as evil, then we, as a Christian's response, is to flee from it, run from it in the opposite direction. Your choice to live is a reflection. Your choice to, to, to live a life of godliness is a reflection of what your heart longs for and desires. So by saying yes to evil, at the same time, we are saying no to good. Our decisions in life are not what defines us, but they actually do reveal what our inclinations of our heart lean to. So what is it that you love? What areas have you seen in your life uh, that celebrates what God has created good? Think on those things and give thanks to the Lord for how he has changed you in Christ Jesus. It is a grace from the Lord to have us acknowledge in our lives what we once never paid attention to. Believer, that that is good for us to remember where we once were tolerant, Lord, now, Lord willing, we are now fighting eagerly against. Sadly, in our culture today, this is shaped by the focus of Satan uh, that has uh, comforted too many believers in a state of tolerance uh, to what the Lord has called evil. But rather than tolerating evil, we must hate it because it is in direct contrast to Christ's likeness. Proverbs 8.13 tells us, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Elsewhere in Proverbs, we, we are told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So to have a godly reflection, uh, to have any other reflection of evil that is other than hate, is to neglect the wisdom of God. So it's no surprise in these exhortations uh, that are actually presented to us in the present tense. I know you didn't come here for an English lesson, but 
in these verbs, they are being presented presently. Now, that may not have much significance for you, but what I want to say is this means that each of these commands are to be done continually in our lives. Christian, the fight is not finished until Christ returns. We must hate evil and cling to what is good. Paul has in mind here this progressive sanctification of hating evil and clinging to what is good. Christ then has won the war on the cross, and yet we are still called to endure the battle through trusting in the Lord. Is your love genuine? Do you have love for the Lord in public as you do in private? When sin enters into our lives, what is your natural response? Do you either run to the Lord in repentance or do we simply hide it and justify our own actions? How do we respond when evil rears its head? Hating evil and hating sin is to bring it to the light that is to be exposed, as Ephesians says. Like so much sin and evil in our world, we would rather dismiss it than confront it. When sin rules in our lives, we are brought to shame and guilt. But in Christ, we have freedom from its power. Therefore, hating sin, we are to, act, we are to work actively in putting it to death. To conform to the world is to neglect the gracious love of God and to seek to hide from our Father in heaven. Rather than hiding, we must hold fast and cling to what is good, as the scripture says. Paul is telling us to embrace what is good. We must simply know what the Lord has deemed good in his word. Our love for the Lord is to acknowledge all that God has given us and cherish it with our whole being. This is what it means to be transformed in the knowledge of him. Holding fast to love makes us all the more, uh, makes sense all the more since uh, we in view love uh, is actually in the biblical intention. Biblically, love is not an emotional charge that a feeling that sweeps us into righteousness. Rather, love is an attitude or even a mindset. To boil it down, it's simply a choice. Just as the husband is, uh, just as a husband and a wife is to actively choose love for one another throughout their marriage, so the Christian is to choose what God has declared good and right for our lives. There is, un there is biblical examples for this all over the Bible, but one that comes to mind is Ruth, who shows steadfast love to her mother-in-law, Naomi. I feel like there, uh, there's a mother-in-law joke in there somewhere, but I'm actually going to uh, fall away from that. I don't think that would be wise of me here, so I must refrain. But Ruth here, uh, what we see her in the Bible, she's a Moabite woman, uh, the one who displays genuine love to God's people. Uh, and in the story, of the, what, what I believe Paul is actually commending to us here to do in the church, in Romans chapter 12, her commitment to Naomi surpasses all circumstances and emotions, and yet her commitment to Naomi throughout the book is the means by which God brings her the fulfillment through giving them a son and a grandson. Do we show steadfast love as the Lord has shown steadfast love to us? We are called to think of to let us be a people who loves what God loves. One in which the love that God has towards his people. So secondly, we will see, do you have love for one another? Do you have love for one another? 
All throughout our passage today, Paul is particularly speaking to the body of Christ uh, with a focus of the church in itself. Yes, certainly believers are called to love our enemies and even to love our neighbor as ourselves, but what we hear, we see in our passage is Paul is mainly speaking to the church. Later in the chapter, he will address those outside the church, but here he calls us to have love for one another. Notice there it says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor. Not only has God saved us as individuals, but he has saved us for himself to be a people together. We have been united as one people where there is no Jew or Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. One commentator I found helpful says it like this, when we remember what God's plan is to make us into a large family for his son, we understand why there is such a focus on right relationships within the church. Members of the church should therefore be genuine and deeply concerned for others' physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being, showing love, showing a love that is both wholehearted and practical. What do we do and how, what we do and how we interact is vitally important to God. To love one another is to invest in one another, to spend time in knowing one another as brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. Perhaps this belongs to a part of our Sunday school. Uh, maybe you might be joined to a, a life group to discuss and spur on each other in godliness. This is one right way in which we are to love each other. Hebrews 10 tells us this, and let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As the church together, Paul is calling us to welcome one another through mutual love and affection. <coughs> it means meeting with one another, praying for one another, hearing and asking of one another. Do you exist in this church only to yourself, or are you part of this one another family of God? We fail to do this when we gossip and take manipulative strategies, strategies for our own self-interest. This is how we neglect loving our neighbor. This is how we neglect loving one another. When we love our brothers and sisters, we will go to them and settle the matter. We will hear their requests and seek to honor their wishes. Like Christ in his humility, brothers and sisters are to love one another by considering others better than yourselves. This is primarily seen in the example that we see in Christ here in Philippians 2, where Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even a shameful death on the cross. For our sake, Christ left his throne in heaven and became nothing here on this earth. He came not to serve, but to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. If others were to see our love for one another, what would they say of this body? Would they be compelled to join us, or would they be deterred by our lack of love for one another? As a spiritual family, the church is to exhibit the intimacy and tenderness toward one another that mark the best of earthly families here in this world. 
Such relationships should make any onlooker desire the same for themselves. Is your love genuine? As a spiritual family of the church is to, to do this. Do you have genuine love for one another as a people who have been shown the great mercy from God our Father? Let us remember what we have been, that we have been bought with a price. The same mercy that God has shown you is the same mercy that God has shown to the brother who regularly asks for prayer for his sins. That God has shown the same mercy to the sister who doubts. Are we loving to them as God is loving to them? By the grace of God, he has created a people to share with one another the love and mercy that we have received in Christ Jesus. Yet just as God has created a people to himself, he has also given us a purpose. So third, we will see, do you delight in serving the Lord? Do you delight in serving the Lord? Verse 11 says this, Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Have you lost your enthusiasm for the Lord, Christian? Where you once were eager to do the things and meet with the people of God, where you were eager to open up your Bible on, uh, in the morning and hear and feast on God's word, do you still have that same zeal within you? Are you regularly evangelizing? Are you regularly sharing the testimony for which God has saved you? Are you regularly meditating on Scripture and having it to feast and shape and uh, move about in your actions throughout your day? This command is challenging us all, and especially those who have believed in the Lord for some time. Remind yourself of the youthful zeal for which you once had concerning the things of God. Like a young child who has found new interests that they are passionate about, let us, lead, let us therefore have the same vigor in service to our Lord. Is your Bible reading something that you eager in the morning? Is your prayer life continual? Is your evangelism apparent to those at the dinner table? How has scripture memory spurred you on to cherish God in your heart? All of these disciplines are, are the heart of a believer. Yet Paul here again is not concerned with our actions, but rather he is concerned with the heart behind them. What is your motivation for the things that you do? What is the reward that you hope to receive? So often our worship and service to the Lord is informed by our own selfish interests. To serve the Lord with zeal is like setting a burning flame that fuels the passion to share God's love with others and ourselves. Paul is not unfamiliar with zealousness of spirit. And it's no wonder that he links these verbs here in verse 12. Paul uses these elsewhere in connection with one another as we see in Romans chapter 8. But look there in, uh, look there in verse um, Verse 12, as we rejoice in hope, gaining confidence in God's promise that we will share in this glory of God, we recognize the tribulation that stand in our way. Therefore, all the more the believer is to lean into the Lord in prayer, who is able to supply what is lacking, so that our spirit may endure with perseverance. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
Is your love genuine? What fuels your love to serve the Lord? Whatever we are to do, we are to put our whole heart and our whole soul into loving and serving the Lord. Let it not be for, let it not be for people who seek praise from our peers or even our accomplishments for our work. Let us not do those for those seeking that reward, but rather let us seek a reward that is in heaven. Let us desire to know and cherish Christ uh, who is, uh, until our hearts burst forth with thanksgiving for the great things that he has done in our lives. Like the story of a man who finds a, a, a hidden treasure in a field, what does he do? He goes and he sells all that he has in order to acquire it. He goes with great joy and he buys the land. By God's grace and in response to his love, let us serve the Lord and be rewarded with the love of our Father who is in heaven. Let us not run for other rewards that might be pleasing of man or that might desire for us to have social status in the public, but let us follow the Lord in love and devotion. And finally, we see that the church is to be a people who are to love generously. Do you give and care for those who have needs? Fourthly, we see, do you give and care for those who have needs? Verse 13 tells us, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. To the early church, this was critical in the health and the growth of the church uh, throughout its time. People were buying and selling of land. They were selling their own resources in order to provide for members of the church. Why? Because uh, w- the church was made up both of impoverished and those who were well off. Out of their abundance, they were generous, and uh, they were generous to its members and to the mission of the church. Sadly, in our Western individual, individualistic society, sharing with one another sometimes fosters shame. But if we are rightly, if we are rightly to see the grace that has been given to us in Christ we should be willing to meet the needs of the people around us. Genuine love is open-handed and open-hearted to the others, to others and to their physical needs. Let us stay away from transactional generosity. Let us not do things because we have been done, done well from others, but rather let us give to the church or to the needs of our brothers and sisters is not a measure of our personal satisfaction in ourselves, but rather let us be generous with our materials and finances because God has been rich towards us in his love. Moreover, not only are we to meet the physical needs of the church, but we are to provide soul care for those who are around us. Do you know, Christian, that not only are you to feed and edify your own soul, but you are to build up the body? This is not strictly the pastor's job or the elder's jobs, but rather we as a people together are to build up and to spur one another on to love and good works. Because of Christ's love, you have been equipped to listen and to pray for the church who has need. So welcome them. Welcome them into your home. Leverage your home to love God's people so that you might encourage them in the faith, that you might endure through their suffering. Throughout our lives, let us strive to love as we have been loved by Christ. 
But now, even as I've talked through this passage, even as we've spent time in God's word, I know there's temptation here. I know there's temptation for all of us to wish that we were much more mature than we are presently, or to have much more devotion to the Lord than we perhaps do now. But let us give, let me give you this confidence. As we grow in our love for the Lord, so too will our worship of him. We may not think of evangelism as spurring us on uh, to love and cherish the Lord, but what does it do? It builds us up, it bolsters us, bolsters us to love and good works. It's, it helps us in our faith. It, it makes us sure for the foundation for which we have been saved. As we have said earlier, the work of God in his mercy has done impossible, the impossible uh, for what we are, ourselves were unable to do. The love, we love and serve as we have been given much in Christ Jesus. One stark contrast that we see in our passage is actually in contrast to the opening chapters of Romans chapter one. Just as, uh, just how new the Lord has made us. Not only as the Bible tells us elsewhere that we are to have been brought, have been bought, brought from death to life, from darkness to his marvelous life, but here in Romans chapter one, we see the rebelliousness of man and the conformity to the world. Be reminded that Christ and his goodness what we once were. Here from Romans 1, where it says that we, before Christ, were once filled with a manner of all unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They were all full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, and maliceness. Um, they are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to their parents. Foolish and faithful, faithlessness, heartless and ruthless, though they know God's righteousness decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only give, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. But because of the mercies of God that has been shown to us believers, no longer are we heartless, but we are to love and let our love be genuine to love one another with brotherly affections. No longer are we approving of evildoers, but now we hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. No longer are we God-haters who are arrogant and boastful, but now with fervent spirit, we serve the Lord in all that we do. No longer are we full of envy, producing strife through deceitful gains and deceitful seams, but we are to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. Christian, the change that has been produced in our hearts is only by the miraculous grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus. What we are today is all by the grace of God. Through the work of the Spirit, we have been raised to newness of life and we seek to follow the Lord in holiness that has transformed us by the renewal of our minds to love Christ as he has loved the church. Christians, let us spur one another on to love and good works and seek to welcome those within our churches and to love them as Christ has loved us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us, that you would make us new in Christ Jesus, and that you continue to transform us 
into what is right and pure and honorable. Lord, be gracious to us. Have us to grow in confidence for the work that you are doing in our lives. And Lord, let us continue to progress in sanctification, Lord, as you have made us right in God's eyes. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've shown to us. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to make us new in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we might ask of, uh, of you that you might make our love genuine so that we might display your love to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.